Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Pittsburgh Steelers pulled off a big win to start their 2021 season, beating the Buffalo Bills 23-16 in New York. On today's show, we are going to talk about a few key storylines from this game and then dive deep into the Steelers' secondary and the Buffalo Bills' attempt to attack what many expected to be the weak link of this team. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to The Cutting Room Floor. As always, The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you by Behind the Steel Curtain. BehindTheSteelCurtain.com is your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. You can get all your Steelers news there, along with film rooms from people like me and Kevin Smith covering the Steelers, opinion pieces, article, you, anything you want, we got it, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. We're going to start with the offensive line here. Uh, and the first thing I want to say is, is in pass protection, uh, the Steelers' offensive line did pretty good. They did pretty good. Dan Moore gave up a sack. Uh, that was the strip sack. That was a that was a he got beat pretty badly on that one. He recovered nicely, as always. He has long arms and he uses them well. So even when he gets himself in a bad spot, those long arms can help. Uh, if you remember the play I'm talking about, the 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 defensive end got Ben from behind, reached around and slapped the ball out. Uh, that's because Ben Roethlisberger could see. Dan Moore getting beat. Dan Moore was able to push the guy back behind Ben Roethlisberger, and Ben Roethlisberger was able to step up. But Dan Moore wasn't able to follow through and keep any kind of control 
of the, the defensive end after he had gotten beat. After he pushes him back, he can't. He still can't get any control of the play, and the guy's able to come up and, and strip the ball. Uh, there was a couple more times where you're you're looking at it, saying, "Okay, that's you know, Trey Turner got beat there. Chukwuma Okorafor had a had a pretty rough game, um, but mostly they kept Ben pretty clean, especially the interior, the interior of the pocket. Now there were sometimes blitzes up the middle got them. Okay, they didn't pick up every blitz up the middle perfectly." But for the most part, when they're just man on man, the interior defense did pretty. The interior offensive line did pretty well keeping Ben's pocket there. Uh, better than I expected. Not anywhere close to what the uh, standard has been in the past. When David DeCastro, Marquise Pouncey, Ramon Foster, or Matt Filer were all healthy, when those guys were healthy and playing well, it, that was a totally different, totally different matter. But these guys for their first game. They did pretty good. Second thing I want to say about the offensive line is don't blame the offensive line for the run game. The run game wasn't there in week one, but um, not much of that blame falls on the offensive line. The Buffalo Bills were packing the box. They were putting everyone up close to the line of scrimmage. There, there were plays on second and eight, you know, first and ten, second and eight. You can count ten defenders within three yards of the line of scrimmage. 10, meaning they had 10 way up on the line and one deep. They were playing press on the on the receivers with one deep safety. You have to beat that in the passing game. They are straight out telling you, we're here to stuff your little short passes. We're here to stuff your screen passes. We're here to stuff your run game. You're going to have to throw over them and beat them deep. Uh, the Steelers were not able to do that. The Bills kept players up on the line. And even when... The offensive line made all their blocks. The tight ends made their blocks. You would still see someone just running free because you don't have enough people to account for them all. So that is something we're going to have to look to in the future and see how the how the, the run game improves. But really, it's on the passing game to make teams pay for that. And that sets us up for the next stage, which is Ben Roethlisberger. Ben was not the best early in this game. You could tell he, I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was just, you know, a little bit of old man adrenaline. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but he was off target on a lot of short throws. And the ones that hurt the most in my mind were the late throws to Najee Harris, where Harris slips out, he's wide open, and Ben just throws it over his head to the point that you see Najee Harris with no one around him, and he's jumping and reaching out just to get a single hand on the ball. I mean, even if he catches that, you're not getting anywhere because he spent all his effort just trying to haul in the football. If Ben can get those passes on target, Harris can make something happen. We saw his longest gain in preseason was off a pass like that. When he's in the open field, he is an absolute nightmare for defensive backs to catch and bring down. And he gains big gains off of those. We didn't see that this game because the passes were off target. Now, don't get me wrong, Ben Roethlisberger has carried the Steelers to plenty of wins. He did carry this team to a number of wins in 2020, and he's going to do it again this season. This game, he didn't have it, and the team carried Ben to a win. Now, while I say that, by the end of the game, he started getting going, and he made a few passes. It just took him a little longer. Uh, so we're going to have to see week two how Ben Roethlisberger comes out and plays against the Oakland Raiders. But we're going to have to watch. And see, you know, how long does it take Ben to really get into form and get going? 
because that's when this offense is going to shine. Looking overall at the offense, looking at the scheme, looking at the offensive balance, we saw them not give up on the run play. Uh, We saw a lot of Canada motion. People are going to get frustrated with motion when it is a whole bunch of moving around and then they run the ball for two yards. People are going to get frustrated with that and be like, what's the point of doing all this stuff if all you do is gain two yards? Well, the point isn't just that play. Those motions, those actions, the jet sweeps, everything, they set up for later plays. Oftentimes they allow us to see, okay, if if you're not going to respect an unbalanced formation, we're going to attack that. When you adjust to an unbalanced formation, we're going to see how you adjust. We're going to look at your body language, not just where you move, but your body language. You know, we're going to see, are you starting to predict, okay, they moved over here, they motioned over there. Okay, they're going to run up the middle. It's just going to happen. And you get a lazy cover on the outside. You know, this is this is what Canada is looking for. All that motion, all that action just gives more information, not just about what what the defensive play is that, what their coverage is, what their, what their idea of that play is, but their strategy for countering certain principles of the game, certain ways you plan to attack them and you've put on film, and you can start to see better how they plan to defend that from the very start of the game. So you'll see more of that big motion early in the game, especially the first drive, just because you have an offensive coordinator feeling out what the defense wants to do, what they are planning to do to defend us. We saw beyond that, right? Don't worry. The message there is don't worry if the motion doesn't lead to a big play. You know, this is not a trick play. This is fleshing out what the defense is doing, giving Matt Canada, you know, information to draw up what plays to, to play later, you know, giving even Ben, Ben's going to be able to see that they're going to break it down. He's going to talk to Canada and Canada's going to be able to say, Hey Ben, when they're doing this, this is what they're doing. We know this because of how we saw them adjust to this motion. All these exaggerated things just give us more chance to see what they're doing. A few other interesting things we saw. Um, we saw a little, what I call Canada magic, even against those 10 man fronts where they're taking away everything short. We saw the Steelers orchestrate a screen pass for 14 yards in which we threw we do a we did a double screen where like one or two offensive linemen stayed in to block and the rest slipped out for screens and we gained 14 yards on that. They had 10 guys tight to the line and we got 14 yards. Uh, we saw motion that created space off pl- we saw motion that led to play action that created space for a wide receiver where the ball and the receiver just, you know, the quarterback wide receiver connection wasn't there. Whether Ben was a bad thrower or the receiver ran the route a little wrong or they just didn't have the same idea of what was supposed to be going on that play, I don't know. A lot of that you can't tell. But it just didn't work. Uh, Some other interesting things we saw. We saw Zach Gentry play more snaps than James Washington. It's going to happen. Not because Zach Gentry is such a great player or anything and that James Washington is, is terrible, but because... In Canada's offense, he uses fullbacks and tight ends that other teams don't expect to see, and he uses them in interesting ways. One of the things you can do is if you start seeing when Zach Gentry is in, the other team isn't paying attention to him because he's a run-blocking tight end in their mind, and then you can take advantage of that. Uh, And there's times where a play-action fake with Zach Gentry in might be more effective than a play-action fake with Eric Ebron 
or Pat Fryermuth in just because the linebackers are paying more attention to the idea of a play-action pass because you've got a receiver that's more dangerous. You're more worried about Pat Fryermuth on a play-action pass than you are Zach Gentry. So maybe that play-action pass, that linebacker comes up and you run a Juju Smith-Schuster across the middle and that linebacker is farther up and Juju Smith-Schuster has more room to make a play because Zach Gentry is the tight end. There's all kinds of ways that, that, that Matt Canada tries to orchestrate things. Uh, I'm not judging Matt Canada off this game. Everything's not perfect. I'm, I'm a bit of a fan just because I like the way he approaches it, uh, but I still want to see the execution. We didn't have that this game. Uh, a lot of that fell on Ben. A lot of that fell on a rough start to the game from Ben and a good defensive strategy from Buffalo. They played well. Uh, another interesting play uh, led to one of my favorite clips and a Twitter po- a Twitter post that's going pretty well. If you want to check that out, it's uh, my Twitter is at Fantaskippy, P-H-A-N-T-A-S-K-I-P-P-Y. There was a play where Ray Ray McLeod was asked to do a small block on a defensive end and the run was supposed to get outside of him. Dan Moore Jr. didn't get going very fast. Najee Harris had to slow down. And Ray Ray McLeod ends up blocking defensive end Jerry Hughes, who's 254 pounds, 64 pounds heavier than Ray Ray McLeod, for a good solid two seconds and kept him out of the play. Fantastic effort play by Ray Ray McLeod. Not what the play was designed to be. Not something you would rely on regularly. But to see 190-pound Ray Ray McLeod keep up with this guy. I mean, there were two times Jerry Hughes is like practically punching him in the chest. Like he's trying to like ragdoll Ray Ray McLeod and throw him to the ground. And Ray Ray's not going. Ray Ray was staying on him like a freaking bulldog on him. He was just love that play. That got me pumped. I loved it. Uh, go check out my Twitter. Go see that real quick before we get to the second half of the, before we end the first half of the show, I have a few defensive storylines. The Steelers knew the Bills were going to go after their defensive depth. They had that idea. The Bills are a, are a spread them out wide team naturally. The Steelers, one of their weaknesses perceived going to this game is defensive back depth. So their game plan was to give them help. We saw two deep zone on almost every snap. There were almost no times where it was single deep high safety and you know receivers on islands with cornerbacks. And yet, with a four-man rush and two safeties deep, the Steelers had Josh Allen under pressure. Most of the night, they had three sacks. They had eight quarterback hits. And the Steelers blitzed twice. I found one of them for sure. That was That's according to, uh, what is it, uh, the, the next-gen stats from NFL.com. Steelers only blitzed twice. Only blitzed twice. I saw one of the blitz definitely, and they actually completed a pass on that play. Uh, Steelers got all that pressure. They had dominant games from T.J. Watt, who had five quarterback hits and two sacks. Melvin Ingram, my main man, Cameron Hayward. I want to just call out Cameron Hayward. He was a beast. Cameron Hayward, when when Stephon Tewitt is out, is always something you watch. It's fantastic. He lived up to that. Uh, Dave Schofield and I did a vertex before week one talking about how with Tewitt out, with T.J. Watt possibly you know having a slow start, which he did not, uh, expect the Steelers to turn Cam Hayward loose, where instead of being more of a run stopper and a con- and a pocket container, he's just you know asked to penetrate more, and he was, he absolutely was. Alu Alu uh, and Chris Wormley did more contain work. We saw Alex Highsmith asked to just contain more. Uh, even 
uh, Melvin Ingram was asked to contain more, and Cam Hayward was going and penetrating a lot of the time, just going into the pocket and creating havoc and forcing Josh Allen out of his pocket and out of his comfort zone. The Steelers ran a ton of nickel and dime. We were going to talk about that. They were able to rotate their interior D-line because of that. So they, even as much impact as, Stephon, as Cameron Hayward had, he only played 66% of snaps. He played two-thirds of the game and had that much impact. Uh, TJ Watt played 80%. Um, the, other, the other outside linebackers played, you know, I think Melvin Ingram played a little over 50%. And uh, Alex Highsmith played a little under 50%. A little over 50%. Melvin Ingram played around 60%. Uh Bush and Schobert were the only inside linebackers. They both got to take breaks because it was all nickel and there was a lot of dime. There was a lot of dime. Uh, neither Bush nor Schobert looked particularly great, but it was good to see Bush out there and he looked better as the game went on. Uh, so that was that was a good game for the inside linebackers. Joe Schobert didn't have the best first game. I thought he started looking better as the game went on as well, him and Bush both. Uh, we're going to have to watch them and see because that's they are learning each other. And we're not seeing the same kind of level of, of work together that we saw between uh, Vince Williams and, and Devin Bush last year. We're not seeing the same level of comfort. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if that grows. Well, that's it for the first half of the show. we got to take a break. When I return, we'll talk about what I consider to be the number one story of the Steelers-Bilgis game, the Steelers secondary. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm Jeffrey Benedict, the host of The Cutting Room Floor. Cutting Room Floor is part of the Behind the Steel Curtain network of podcasts. One of the audio-only podcasts that we have that I've been enjoying is the Steelers Fantasy Football Fix. With football actually playing again, we get to, you can get back into fantasy football. And if you're a fantasy football player, if you're a daily fantasy football player, and you want to know what to put, who to play from the Steelers, who to avoid in the Steelers matchups. The Steelers football fantasy fix is here for you. Last week, if you listen to the fantasy football fix, uh, the host, Jeremy Betts, told you to avoid both teams' tight ends, which was a great play. He told you to play Josh Allen, even though you know he's facing the Steelers' defense, which he was right that Josh Allen was was decent, wasn't you know one of the top quarterbacks, but he had a good he had a good fantasy game. He told you to that Chris Boswell was undervalued. That turned out to be true. Uh, he told you to play the Steelers defense and, and special teams, even though they're going against the Buffalo Bills offense. If you did that, you did not regret it. He told you to avoid the Buffalo defense and special teams, which if you did that, you wouldn't regret that either because that came up good. If you want a fantasy football projection of the Steelers' Week 2 matchup with the Raiders, along with some matchup suggestions from other games around the NFL, make sure you check out Jeremy Betts and the Fantasy Football Fix on the Behind the Steel Curtain podcast network. That's one of our audio-only shows, and that comes out tomorrow, Wednesday. So in time for you to get... Get your fantasy lineup set and uh, 
it's a great listen. It's a great show if you're if you want some information on what to expect in this upcoming game. Now, the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the secondary. Last uh, last week's show, I said I thought the secondary was still a work in progress, and players were going to be auditioning, and they were. I want to tell you the story about one player, in particular, though, that was in the mix. This player was drafted in the seventh round. He was the 245th player taken in 2021. At the start of training camp, he was in line behind four other players in the slot in slot defense. One by one, those players fell, and up rose Trey Norwood, who's playing training camp practice and preseason, earned him the start in his first NFL game when the Steelers put him at nickelback for the first defensive snap of the game. At the start of this offseason, Antoine Brooks, Arthur Mollette, they were your nickel guys. Behind them was Cameron Sutton with James Pierre coming in for nickel packages to play outside and Cameron Sutton sliding inside. Those were all ahead of him to play nickelback. He was not in that discussion. He was the backup free safety. He had a shot at dime. Even I was saying, I thought he would play in dime. And I was, I, was, I was hoping they would give him a chance to earn that, that role. Instead, Trey Norwood started his first NFL game at nickel. And he wasn't, it wasn't one of those start-in-name-only things, you know, where they, they start a veteran and then some other guy plays most of the snaps. They do that occasionally. That wasn't this. Trey Norwood played 80% of this defensive snaps, and he played in multiple positions. He started in the slot. And right off the bat on their first drive, you can see the Bills immediately identify him. Like, there's the new kid. There's the rookie seventh-round pick. And they went after him. He was up to the challenge with help from some other people. They, they ran a few little, you know, routes exploiting his, uh, his leverage that he was giving, only to run into a Cameron Sutton. One of the first plays of the game was Diggs lined up against Trey Norwood and Trey Norwood was back a little farther off the line of scrimmage, so they ran a quick out to Stefan Diggs, and Cameron Sutton came in and tackled him. That's what the defense does. That's how we help players in the slot. Uh, so he had help. I, I don't want to make it sound like he was on an island here. No one was on an island. I talked about in the first half, two deep safeties. No one was on an island. Lots of, of uh, pattern-matching defenses to get you know to ease people into position. Make sure you are just on an island with Stefan Diggs. But Trey Norwood was up to the challenge. When they started figuring out how to attack him and had a little bit of a success with him, uh, the Steelers swapped him out. Brought in Arthur Millette for a few seasons. Arthur Millette played 13 snaps, but Norwood was frankly better. So they went back to Norwood. And when the Bills started going after Norwood a bit, Instead of just leaving him in the slot and letting him be like, "Hey, man, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to cover for this. You know, you're gonna have to figure out a way to make this work," they swapped for a few series. They swapped him and Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick up in the slot, which he's not fantastic there. That isn't his best usage, right? He he's not a slot corner, uh, but he's dangerous there still. You don't just mess with you know you don't attack Minka Fitzpatrick. And it threw off the Bills' game plan. 
especially they did it early in the second half. So like you go into halftime and you're like, all right, you know, we've got this, we got this trade Norwood. We got a bit of, of experience playing against him. Hey, how are we going to attack him? How are we going to attack him and Hayden? How are we going to attack him and Sutton? How are we going to go after this kid? And then you come out in the second half and Minka Fitzpatrick is your slot defender and Trey Norwood is the safety and nickel. Right? Like that's just, it throws everything off. All those adjustments you plan for, it just it doesn't fit what's on the field now. I, I think that's one of the ways the Steelers won the halftime adjustments on defense is they just moved people around. They were like, and eh, now you now it's not what you thought you were seeing. Now what you saw in the first half, it's different. Norwood, despite all of this, when he was in safety, he played really well too. Um, he he wasn't perfect, right? I don't I don't want to sell this build this kid up to be some kind of a superstar. He isn't. All right. He is not a superstar. He is, in my opinion, on the level you saw, around the level you saw Cameron Sutton in in 2018 in Sutton's second season, uh, before 2019 when Sutton really took off and showed his value. 2020, it was more of the same, and he showed that he might be an option to even go outside. 2021, he's an outside corner. Uh, We'll get to Cameron Sutton's game in a little bit. But Norwood is ahead of the curve. He is, he looks like Cameron Sutton did in Cameron Sutton's second year. Cameron Sutton was a third round pick. Norwood's a seventh round pick. What this says to me more than the Steelers found a good player is the Steelers' change in draft policy for this year worked. Drafting a player because they fit something you already do. Not for, okay, this player just has these physical attributes and this level of, you know, athleticism and talent, and we can we can teach them to play our system. But actually finding players that already play something that fit in this defense so that they have a entry-level comfort zone, right? Trey Norwood in college played safety. He played slot cornerback. He played all over the place. But as I was watching him, because I did the film breakdown on him after he was drafted, his role was Cameron Sutton's role. You know Cameron Sutton, is he a cornerback, is he a safety? He's playing all over the place. Sometimes he looks like he's lining up like a linebacker, but he's in coverage. What you know? What's going on with Cameron Sutton? Well, yeah, it's a role. He's a coverage specialist, and they moved him to different positions, but his role was very similar in all of those. Same thing for Trey Norwood in college. So come into the Steelers... Right out of college, he was a great fit for a lot of what the Steelers do for safety and almost all of what they do with their dime back. He had that level of comfort coming in. Uh, I've been touting Terrell Austin as a game changer for the Steelers secondary. And frankly, right now, like where would you rank Trey Norwood against most of the Steelers cornerbacks they've drafted in the last 10 years? Go back, go back 17 years to when the Steelers drafted Ike Taylor. How many of you have seen where a cornerback comes in for the Steelers, excuse me, <coughs> comes in week one of their rookie season, plays and plays well? How many, how many times have you seen that? It just doesn't happen. So for me, I, I think, to me, it lines up with the addition of Terrell Austin. Uh, the change in how the Steelers use the secondary, 
a, a secondary scheme that is much more designed to fit the talents of the players than here's the scheme we run. You guys need to find how you fit inside the scheme. It's more we fit the scheme to the players. And now you start recruiting players, drafting players who have already played those roles. And it's going to work. Hopefully I'm right, and this is a trend we see, and this isn't just, you know, they liked Trey Norwood and he happened to work out right away. Uh, I, I am very positive about the Steelers' future ability to draft cornerbacks with Terrell Austin and Keith Butler and, and doing the defense together. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I hope they stick around. I really hope we can keep both of them and keep this going. Need to move on and coverage cam- cover Cameron Sutton. Cameron Sutton just had a redemption game. In 2020, Cameron Sutton was forced to come in against the Buffalo Bills and start for Joe Hayden. That's not a role he was used to, right? The Bills, at halftime, moved Stephon Diggs across the field to to go against Cameron Sutton. And Diggs beats the snot out of him. You're talking about an all-pro having the best season of his NFL career. And you're talking about Cameron Sutton, who's a good dimeback and coverage specialist, who is stepping into a role and matchup that he's just not ready for. He hasn't been training all season to be an outside cornerback. He's been training and practicing to be better in his role, in his coverage specialist role. Deep zones, you know, picking up tight ends, moving around all over the place as his dimeback. His technique wasn't on point for an outside cornerback because he wasn't playing outside cornerback. So the second half, they move Stefan Diggs to Cameron Sutton's side. They take advantage. They beat the snot out of him with Diggs. And that was really a turning point in the game. Now, in this game, Sutton wasn't perfect. But he was all over the place. Early on, he was helping Norwood cover Diggs. He was making tackles in the backfield. I got to bring this up because Cameron Sutton had two legitimate tackles for a loss in this game. By legitimate, I mean last year Cameron Sutton recorded a sack and a tackle for a loss. One was a receiver caught the ball and fell down behind the line of scrimmage, and Cameron Sutton two-hand tapped him on his shoulders to record a tackle for loss. He got a sack because a quarterback was running out of bounds, scrambled out, and was just running out of bounds because he's being chased. He doesn't want to take a big hit. Cameron Sutton happened to be two steps closer to that quarterback than Devin Bush or Bud Dupree were. So who gets the sack? Cameron Sutton. Didn't even touch the guy. Right? Those were his that was his tackle for a loss and a sack in 2020. 2021, in game one, he has two legitimate tackles for a loss already. So the just much better. He he is he has worked on being an outside corner. He's prepped for it, and he showed that. That showed up. Yeah, he gave up some receptions, very little yards after the catch, and just played really well. He was beaten for a touchdown. But, man, he was in coverage on that touchdown a little bit slow. Great throw, though. I mean, that's one of those plays where you just – a great throw beats good coverage. He was in really good coverage. The throw was just better. I honestly am going to say I think Cameron Sutton just played the best game of his NFL career to this point. Uh, I mean that because I think it's the hardest role he's had to play. And he was really good. So, for me, Cameron Sutton, great, great game. Let's move on to James Pierre. Uh, James Pierre was not coming in on nickel plays like they had thought they might you do. Instead, James Pierre came in on dime snaps. So Cameron Sutton in the nickel was outside. They kept Cameron Sutton outside. They put Trey Norwood in the slot for nickel. In dime, James Pierre came in for one of the linebackers. He played outside, and Sutton slid right back in 
to the dimeback role that he has played so well for the last, you know, what, three, four years. Pierre was solid. Again, not great. You, you don't need greatness from your number four cornerback, right? Uh, outside of one incredible pass breakup he had in the fourth quarter, they had a bit of a blown coverage, and you see James Pierre come in and just, you know, tomahawk chop the ball right out of the receiver's hands. And it was a cool play, but it's it's even better when you look at what happened after that. This was one of those, like, butterfly effect plays. Uh, of course, the butterfly effect is a the theory that, like, a butterfly flaps his wings over here and a tsunami happens because a chain of events occurs, right? James Pierre on second and six knocks the ball out of a receiver's hands. Comes in, blown covers, the receiver's wide open. James Pierre hustles over. Bam, knocks the ball out, pass broken up, it's third and six. On third and six, Cam Hayward sacks Josh Allen. Now it's fourth and 12. On that fourth and 12 play, Miles Killebrew bursts through, blocks the punt, and the Steelers score a touchdown. If James Pierre doesn't recognize that there's a wide receiver wide open on that play about to catch the ball and doesn't make it there and knock that ball down, the Bills convert on second and six. Instead of third and six and a Hayward sack, you have a first and ten. Very different drive. And quite possibly a different result in the final score. So that's one of those moments I like to pick out where people are like, oh, you know, this play was super important. Sometimes there's plays that someone makes like that. It's just a hustle play, just a, just a catch-up play. That has a bigger impact than just, hey, you know, that's now they got to go to third and six. What it set up was a game changing end of that drive. Last thing I want to cover uh, was Minka Fitzpatrick moving around. That's something I have been touting for a while. Uh, last season, at the, after, uh, after the season ended on my show with Michael Beck, we were doing the curtain call. We were talking about drafting players. I talked a lot about, you know, if we drafted someone that could play deep zone, we could move Minka Fitzpatrick around more. And that's a big deal because Minka Fitzpatrick is the defensive back with the most gravity on the field in the secondary since Troy Polamalu. Gravity, what I mean is that is, is there's almost like a, you could go on screen on any play with Minka Fitzpatrick and draw a circle around him and just like, like a little Ghostbuster circle, put that red line right through the middle of it and just say, don't throw here. Right, that's Minka Fitzpatrick. Having a player with that kind of gravity, and they're just locked into deep zone, means you just don't throw to the to the zone they're in. You just throw somewhere else. If you're moving him around, because you've got a guy in Trey Norwood that can fill that deep zone role, and Edmonds played a good game. I haven't I haven't really singled him out. He didn't stand out a lot, but they didn't target him. You know, he had that one play where he he ran in front of the receiver to cut him off in case they were getting into the end zone on that overthrown ball. Other than that, like, Edmonds had a good game and played a lot of deep zone. While they're moving Minka Fitzpatrick around, it was Trey Norwood and Terrell Edmonds, and they didn't get beat deep. The Steelers still didn't get beat deep. Week one, they were up to the challenge, and that's awesome because that allows Minka Fitzpatrick to move around more. And the more creative we can be with Minka Fitzpatrick, the more we find, hey, Minka Fitzpatrick is great doing this, or he's great doing that, or the ability, like in this game, 
for, for much of the game for Minka Fitzpatrick to just go over and be in zone wherever Stefan Diggs is. Like Stefan Diggs is up on the on the right side, on the inside slot, and guess who's in zone behind him? Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, there's a man on Stefan Diggs, or there's pattern match on Stefan Diggs, but supporting that is Minka Fitzpatrick. And Stefan Diggs. You know, he got his, like, 50 yards. You know, the old A-B rule. Even when A-B got shut down, he got 50 yards. Stephon Diggs got his 50 yards. But that's it. So I'm I'm very pleased with this. That is something to look forward to. I want to point out that the Steelers' secondary is a work in progress. You're never as good as your best week. You're never as bad as your worst. Remember that, you know, uh, Trey Norwood's going to struggle. There's games. Cameron Sutton's going to have a bad game. James Pierre is going to get beat. Things are going to happen. Even Minka Fitzpatrick gets beat, right? Don't don't expect this to be, you know, the second coming of the 2008 Steelers secondary. It's They're not there yet, okay? But they played a heck of a game to start their journey towards who they're going to be this season. And, and that's fantastic. That is fantastic. And I am very excited to see what comes next. We got the Raiders next week. You know, bring it on. That's that's it for our show this week. Um, that's it. And uh, as always, we're brought to you behind the steel curtain. Check out the, the website. Check out the other podcasts. Uh, especially go check out the Fantasy Football Focus if you're in defending fantasy football. And uh, I'll catch you on the next time. Have a good day. Yeah.